Good evening, and thank you for joining us on the eve of a big night in this country, Election Day. Tonight, it's the final chance for Democrats and Republicans to deliver their closing arguments. Hundreds of candidates are making one last push to get out the vote ahead of Election Day. President Joe Biden needs Democrats to win in the 2022 midterms if he wants to move his policy agenda forward. Yet the president's party almost always loses seats in midterm elections. Tensions arising in the United States as they prepare for the midterm elections there. It is a cycle which can change the balance of power. The future of the US is on a knife edge as President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump make their last minute sales pitch to Americans with control of both the House and the Senate at stake. Right now, Republicans are a heavy favorite to take back control. So the chance of Republicans taking back control, 88% to the Democrats, 12%. With control of the Senate and the House on the ballot, President Joe Biden, former Presidents Barack Obama and Donald Trump all hitting the campaign trail. Excuse me, guys. I'm a journalist from Australia and I'm covering the campaign. So what did you think of the uh, event just now? It was straight, I liked it. Yeah. He said some facts, you know, it got crazy in there, but. <laughs> We have a question for all of you. Are you ready to give President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden a warm Bowie State welcome? My name is Joe Biden, I'm Joe Biden's husband. My name's Jack. Nice to meet you. What are the most important issues that you came here today motivate you to be strong supporters of Donald Trump? Like Australia, we were, our lockdowns, tyranny, and everything else was beyond belief. The government needs to get out of our business. That's what we're here for. We're here for freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 45th President of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. I'm thrilled to be back in this magnificent commonwealth with the thousands of proud, hardworking American patriots. The election was rigged and so it's a shame. It's a shame. Last Tuesday, Americans went to the polls to vote in the midterms. A series of elections that occur midway through every presidential term where all 435 seats in the House of Representatives and one-third of the 100 seats in the Senate are up for grabs in the federal government. 36 states also elect their governors, whose authority is roughly equivalent to that of the president only at the state level. Historically, the midterms have attracted substantially lower turnout than the main elections, where the presidential race tends to draw a larger slice of the electorate out to vote. But in the last two midterm cycles, voter turnout spiked, particularly in battleground states where the polls are tight and the results look like they could go either way. Americans are turning out in record numbers. Historically, the midterms have favoured the party that doesn't hold the presidency, as voters protesting the performance of the president they didn't vote for tend to turn up more than those comfortable in the knowledge that their party will hang on to the White House for the next two years. And in the lead into this week's polls, Expectations were that that trend would accelerate on account of frustration with soaring consumer price inflation and escalating disapproval of Joe Biden's performance as president. The talking heads were looking for a red wave of support for Republican candidates across the country. 
and speculation was rife that the results could presage a very ugly outlook for the Democrats' prospects in 2024. But it didn't happen. Biden and the Democrats outperformed most recent incumbent presidents, including Obama and Clinton, in similar midterms. More calls are expected soon, but whatever happens next, Democrats really did give us all quite a surprise and historically doing pretty well considering President Biden's low approval ratings and also the highest inflation that we have been experiencing for some time. And while razor-thin margins in several key states and congressional districts means several results remain uncalled, along with who will control the House of Representatives. On Saturday night, the Democrats retained their majority in the Senate when the Arizona Senate seat up for grabs was called in their favour, taking them to 50 out of 100. While one seat in Georgia remains uncalled and will go to a runoff election, a 50-50 split still puts the Democrats in control as the Constitution calls for any even deadlock in the Senate to be broken with a vote from the Vice President and the Democrats are in the White House. The finger pointing's definitely begun among Republicans who viewed these elections as a walk-up start to score a big win. And most of it surrounds Donald Trump and whether he may be coming an electoral handicap rather than an advantage. Here's an illustration. It's no secret that at this stage, political commentary on cable news in America has become extraordinarily partisan and biased. But every single one of the clips you're about to hear aired on Fox News in the aftermath of Tuesday's vote. Part of the problem, uh, I don't think there's any question in my mind, that hurt Republicans all over, is Donald Trump. Some are also knuckleheads with strange beliefs and closets full of problems. Many of these remarkably weak candidates came courtesy of Donald Trump. There's a very high correlation between MAGA candidates and big losses. A true leader understands that it's time to step off the stage. Going into 2024, the Republicans are going to be looking for candidates who are focused on winning, not just making a point or settling a score. We have a tremendous opportunity going forward. Donald Trump should not be a part of that. I just wish he would ride off into the sunset. In the days leading into the elections, I joined the campaign trail to see Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and a few others in action. I met people from both sides of the aisle in a bid to understand the lines down which major electoral issues are breaking among motivated voters before covering the polls themselves from Washington, D.C. The campaign events were very different. I started out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at a big Trump rally staged at Arnold Palmer Regional Airport on a Saturday night, where the Republican candidate for a Senate seat on the block in Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz, stumped for the former president before Trump swooped in on his private jet, landing on the X a few minutes before he was due to address the crowd. And it was a crowd. I travelled to the event with two other Aussie journos, Matt Cranston from the Australian Financial Review and Adam Crichton from the Australian. An event official told Matt that 6,700 attendees had passed through security. 6,700? That guy said they count them as they come through security and it's 6,700. 6,700? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's big versus what I thought. Yeah, way more than I thought. but. Maybe my school was 1,200 people at assembly. Yeah. Is that how you try to calibrate it? Yeah, because we all was sat in the one stadium, yeah. you know, one bus in the gymnasium for yeah. assembly. And this is probably about 
Uh, about maybe three or four times. So is the makeup of the crowd pretty similar to the assembly at the Catholic school where you studied, mate? Well, actually, yes. <laughs> There's well, a lot of Catholics look, here no, with a lot of crosses around there. Uh, and more really shirts. There's more shirts with four-letter words on yeah, them yeah, here yeah, than yes, there would have been in your assembly at yeah, school. No, that would yeah, not be allowed. That would not be allowed. But attendance numbers are hard to judge. I was way off with my estimate of three or four thousand. And estimates of its size amongst the rally goers, let's say varied widely you know i've been to a lot of trump rallies i'm not sure this one's a little bit uh only because of the way the venue is shaped it feels a little bit smaller but i suspect there's gotta be at least ten thousand people here today yeah wow i'm sorry how many people do you think are here if you had to guess probably at least twenty thousand. yeah this is every rally. This is my fourth one. Oh, really? It's every rally. Yeah, well, okay. They will never show you past where the media is. They won't show you back here. Yeah, right. Is that, do you think because they're trying to, they don't want people to know how many people show up? Correct. Yeah, right. Cool, man. Enjoy the speech. How many people do you think are here today? If you had to guess. Uh, well, I'll tell you, man, I waited for hours and hours to get in here. I'd, I'd guess about probably maybe 60, 70,000. Yeah, wow. But regardless, it was a big show. And what struck me most in Trump's speech was that with a mountain of powerful policy-based arguments at his disposal, given the setup I described in the introduction, he fell back almost immediately on his old shtick about stolen elections and generally worked to whip the assembled crowd up into an angry furor over the same old catalogue of grievances that we've heard over and over again. Honestly, it felt a bit tired. Open millions of illegal aliens are pouring into our country. Your commonwealth is enduring a massive and bloody crime wave. And the far left is indoctrinating our children with twisted race and gender insanity in our schools. Other than that, they're doing a fantastic job. If you want to stop the destruction of our country and save the American dream, then this Tuesday, you must vote Republican in a giant red wave. Trump did touch on consumer price inflation a few times during his speech, but it never felt like his central message which struck me as a bad miss because not only do the Republicans have a pretty good story to tell on that point, especially in reference to gas prices where they advocate a more permissive attitude towards domestic hydrocarbon production via things like fracking and infrastructure build-outs, but also because as I wandered around the crowd, it was easily the most frequently cited reason for disaffection with the Democrats. And it's also worth noting that while I did see one or two pretty nasty things transpire, the vast majority of those in attendance were perfectly friendly and seemed like good people who were facing genuine hardship and who saw Trump as the best answer they could come up with to the problem. Take, for instance, a group of six rally goers I met lining up for a hot dog who were a good representation of the majority of those in attendance. They were polite, friendly people who'd suffered at the hands of the economy and for whom a couple of social issues that are higher profile in America than elsewhere were also front and centre. It just felt like at times, on those social issues, their view of the alternatives on offer to Trump elsewhere within the Republican Party and even on the other side of the aisle had been muddied by some of Trump's nastier false assertions. 
G'day, how are you? Can I just get a hot dog, please? Five dollars, please. No worries. You don't sell beer here, do you? I wish. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. I'm a journalist from Australia, and I'm, I've covered the midterm elections, and oh, just cool. sort of like try to understand a bit more what's going on. Would you guys have to talk to me for like one or two minutes, or just ask a couple of questions? Yeah. Cool. What are your names? I'm Jack. I'm Jazz. Like Jazz. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm Rob. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm Aaron. Nice hey, to Aaron. meet you. Nice to meet you guys. Hey, and. Hey, Jeff, that looks like nice popcorn that you've yeah, got there. Really nice. Um, hey, so like, what? Tell me about like, what's the most important sort of issue that brings you here today? Um, what motivates you the most to get behind President Trump? I guess I'll go first. Yeah. So, okay, so I'm actually born and raised in Texas. I recently moved here six months ago. Yeah. So recently, before I left, I actually lost my job because they were hiring a lot of illegals at my job. So as what, of right, what is your job? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, so it's at Mars Sprocketing Gear. It was just a big huge mechanic shop and everything like that. Yeah. They were hiring a lot of people that I was asking them to. They just speak one thing of English, yeah. which I have no problem with that. It's the fact that they're letting these people come in without being legalized and they're taking over people that are actually here in the States and they're not allowed to work. It's a very powerful thing, it is. right, it to very, motivate you as yes, a person. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so was that when you sort of, did you uh, focus in more on politics after that happened well, to you? Well, actually, when I graduated in 2020, I was, my grandparents were very, they were Democrats. Yeah. And when I came out to be Republican, my entire family disowned me. And the ones that were for Trump loved me the most. Yeah. And I, friends, family, you name it. This Has that bad. been hard? Like, oh, it, it was a rough stage in the beginning, but after that, I kind of just realized that maybe those people weren't supposed to be around me. They weren't, they weren't true friends or family. So, well, I hope that it's all okay. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. And what about you guys? Like, do you any any other issues or anything you'd add to that in terms of what's most important to you? Really, um, I'm just here to stand for what I believe in, to stand for, you know, uh, pro-life, and to stand for, you know, the future of America and our youth that are coming up and you know, to make sure that they get on a good path and they don't get stirred down the wrong path that the Democrats and the radical left is putting us on. What, what's the wrong path? Like when you think about the wrong path, what are like, what are the greatest hits of what could, what's going wrong? Well, in my personal opinion, um, the radical left who were LGBT members who were teaching young kids, five, six year old kids about gender pronouns and gender identities and, you know, stuff that they will discover when they hit puberty down the line. And, you know, stuff that, they will need to discover on their own stuff that the parents need to teach and stuff that should not be taught in schools whatsoever. So the education piece is really important to you, for sure. For, to some extent, yes, sir. Yeah, okay, great. Thanks so much. And uh, well, I hope you guys have a really good time here this evening. And thanks so much for talking to me. I know that I, I interrupted when you're eating your food. Um, but to you guys, I'd, I'd, love to hear, I'd, I'd love to hear from you guys as well, though, if you wanted to tell me. Okay. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers, guys. Okay. What's most important for you? The most important thing for me is the whole pro-life movement. Oh yeah. Um, that's the main reason why I support Trump is because he is pro-life. Yeah. And the baby is so innocent, and it's it doesn't have a right. Like you know, like they're making the right for them, and it's not even. I just had a baby a year ago. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, and the baby actually starts to begin life after fertilization. Actually, right at the fertilization. And we found out the uh, heartbeat, and they say that they're not even human until they're out of the womb, and that's when they start a life. That's not actually how it goes. And I feel that the left is trying to make it that, oh, like, it's okay to kill babies. It's okay to get rid of them. They're, they're innocent children. They're do, do, you, do you see any of, um, like, some on the left would say that 
uh, it's a, the right of a woman to choose whether she has the child or not is infringed so, upon by banning abortion. Do you do you think there's any merit in that? Or I mean. No, there's foster families and there's adoptive families that are willing to have that child. And not only that, but even in the life, liberty and pursuit of happiness, life always trumps all. Yeah. So at the yeah. end of the day, when you get pregnant, that life trumps everything else. That's a good right. choice of word, exactly. Trump. Life yeah. trumps yeah. all. Yeah. Hey, right. so the music wasn't bad either. I did see a couple of pretty ugly things. A handful of those assembled were very angry and seemed to be spoiling for a fight. stage, a woman in her 60s who'd come in to disrupt the event and whom organisers I think were within their rights to remove, was manhandled out of the place in a completely unnecessary fashion. Two cops pinned her arms behind her back and frog-marched her at a pretty rapid pace out of the rally. As they hustled her forward, she spilled to the ground and looked genuinely panicked. It was just wrong. She wasn't trying to escape into the baying crowd that were hurling insults at her. They should have just walked her to the front gate and told her to go home. Why is she being, excuse me, sir? Why is she being injected? Buddy, drop my arm. She's pretty old. Jesus, hey. Get out my arm! Tuesday's results seem to suggest that much of Trump's playbook, aimed at mobilising disenchanted voters' understandable disaffection with mainstream politics in Washington, which was devastatingly effective at the 2016 election, might have started to cut the other way. To be clear, this is a huge upset, like a Mike Tyson v Buster Douglas level upset. When relative unknown Buster Douglas stunned the world in 1990, when he knocked Tyson out at the height of his powers in a world title fight that every commentator had pegged as a foregone conclusion. If you've never seen the footage, watch it. It's one of the most stunning examples of human tenacity in sporting history. Just another day of work for Mike Tyson. He looks almost bored as they fall to the center of the ring by the referee. The stage is set. Where's set to go? Douglas, after being knocked down in the eighth round, came out swinging. Tenth, it was all over, and Douglas sent Tyson to the canvas with one of the best left hands you'll ever see in professional boxing. So no matter what happens, we give a lot of credit to Buster Douglas for making this a big, big fight. Tyson, he's down. He comes with the uppercut. Come on, brother, Buster's right just back. Hey, look at this! Hey, Buster coming back. Did he fuck on the lights of my 
can't recover. It's up to seven and eight. He's not gonna make it. Tyson had never been knocked off his feet before, ever. And at the press conference afterwards, when Douglas was asked where to from here, he replied, the easiest part is winning. The hardest part is coming back. The sports columns the following day speculated on whether Douglas was talking about Tyson or about himself. And there's a message there for both the Democrats and the Republicans after Tuesday's upset. While Trump's electoral prospects in 2024 have clearly dimmed, what Tuesday's elections mean for the Democrats is also totally up in the air. Last Monday night, on the eve of the midterms, I travelled to Maryland to cover President Biden's last big push to turn out the Democratic vote. The event was much smaller, I'd say about half the size of Trump's rally, but the mood was decidedly different. Even staring down the barrel of a shellacking that literally every single noteworthy pundit was expecting the following day, the tone was strikingly optimistic versus that in Pennsylvania two nights earlier. Maryland Senator Chris Van Holland stumped for Biden first up, and his remarks struck a far more optimistic tone. And Joe Biden, President Biden has it right when he says that the middle class built America and that unions built the middle class. We also know that a woman's right to reproductive freedom is on the ballot. We reached across the aisle to pass historic legislation to modernize our infrastructure. We reached across the aisle to make sure veterans exposed to toxins got the health care they need. They were there for us, and we need to be there for them. They covered a far broader set of issues than what was on offer in Pennsylvania, too. He also promised we would finally have a black woman on the Supreme Court of the United States. Remember, when President Biden took office, it was at the height of the pandemic. Thousands of our fellow Americans were dying of COVID-19. Millions of people were out of work. So we passed the American Rescue Plan. And rescue is the right name for it because it saved thousands and thousands of lives and put millions of people back to work. That's what it did. He gave Medicare the power to negotiate lower drug prices. The law that will confront the climate crisis by accelerating the deployment of clean energy. And it will also reduce the deficit by finally requiring some of the most profitable corporations in the United States to finally pay some more of their fair share. But some of the plaudits they gave themselves were clearly tailored to the audience there that night. The rally was held at Bowie State University and many of the attendees were students. Anyone who wants to go to college, like the great students here at Bowie State University, that they are not weighed down with huge debts. But as we And there's a problem here for the Democrats. 
Canceling the national student debt, while popular with students, is a band-aid solution to a deeply dysfunctional and overly commercialized system of funding higher education in America. Simply canceling those student debts does nothing to address the broadly unregulated market for both student lending and the operation of for-profit tertiary education in America. It's just a handout. And worse still, it's an irresponsible policy to introduce at a time when skyrocketing consumer price inflation is the number one economic and political issue facing the country. But if the Republicans can't find a candidate who's able to articulate that relatively simple point, beyond attacking the Democrats as a spendthrift outfit of faux intellectuals, as does Donald Trump, then they're going to struggle to make electoral hay out of what is a big vulnerability in the current Democratic story. And there's another problem for the Democrats, too. The electorate thinks that Joe Biden has passed it, and an unending stream of on-camera gaffes is fueling the view that Biden's too old for the gig. I will say, he was far more engaging riffing in front of a friendly audience than he has been recently in front of the teleprompter. That's it. Unemployment is at 6.4%. We lost manufacturing jobs. Nationwide, hundreds of thousands of small businesses closed in the country in a pandemic. Only 3.5 million people were vaccinated the day I got elected. Now we have fully vaccinated 220 million people. So we moved. Since I came to office, we've created 10 million new jobs. 3.75% unemployment. Black unemployment has dropped from 9.2 to 5.9 and going down. And we're making things here in America again. We're shipping American-made products overseas instead of shipping American jobs overseas. We've created 700,000 manufacturing jobs. We've created thousands more with the Chips and Science Act. Companies are investing billions of dollars, creating thousands of good-paying jobs. Look, but for all the progress, we know a lot of families are still struggling. That's why. With the help of your members of Congress, I signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act. Here's what it's going to do. We're going to do this all while reducing the federal... You know these Republicans talk about big spending Democrats? Guess what? I cut the federal budget by $1,400,000,000 in one year. One year. It never happened before. But the fact remains... Even Biden himself is refusing to be drawn on if he will have a tilt at a second term in 2024. Meanwhile, his health and age are likely to be a handicap if he does decide to contest the next presidential election. So, the Democrats, too, feel like they're in need of some new blood right now. But who? Well, Biden and Van Hollen weren't the only speakers on Monday night in Maryland. And as I walked out of the event, The speech that stuck with me was neither of theirs. It was this guy's. Where I proudly laid my life on the line to defend this country, and I would do it over and over and over. And I'm proud of the fact that I'm in a room full of patriots. I'm proud of the fact that I'm in a room of educators. who come into the classroom before the sun comes up, who do not come home until the sun is already down, 
because you understand that our state's future fills your classrooms. Patriots. Our workers who every day are making sure that the buildings are getting built, our roads are getting fixed, our bridges are sound. Patriots. Our nurses and our doctors and our medical technicians. Who every single day ensure that our state is safe, our state is healthy, and every single Marylander, even in their toughest moments, are seen patriots. Our first responders who spend every single day running towards danger when the natural instinct is to run away from it. Patriots. Patriots who understand that loving your country does not mean lying about it. And who understand that fighting for democracy does not mean working to destroy it. Patriotism isn't simply waving a flag. Patriotism is giving that flag breath and life. And to show people that the flag represents so much more than just simply an ideal. It represents a promise and a hope. The same promise and the same hope that my immigrant single mother latched onto after my father died in front of me when I was only three years old. We refuse and we will not allow one group to lay claim to the notion of patriotism, especially when that entails denying elections and storming the Capitol. That was Wes Moore, a young new Democrat who the following day flipped the Maryland governor's mansion into Democratic hands after two terms of Republican administration under Larry Hogan, a man who consistently scored among the highest gubernatorial approval ratings in the country over the period. Moore's the 44-year-old son of African-American and Jamaican parents who won a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford University and built a successful career on Wall Street before enlisting in the U.S. Army, where he deployed to Afghanistan as a captain in the 82nd Airborne. And those guys do real work. The U.S. Department of Defense, says the outfit, specializes in parachute operations into denied areas and stands ready to respond to crisis contingencies anywhere in the world within 18 hours. His opponent was Dan Cox, a MAGA Republican who received a strong endorsement from Donald Trump during the campaign. And Moore thumped him, winning the vote with 62% of the ballots to Cox's 35. While 2024 probably isn't the right time for Moore to throw his hat in the ring, you've got to think he's a good each-way bet to have a crack at the big job at some point. And Republicans are going to have to do something different in order to oppose these sorts of candidates. Relying on Trump clearly just isn't working. Interestingly, whereas at the Trump event, the speakers focused on attacking Democrats and the attendees mostly spoke about specific policy issues, at the Biden event, the speakers talked about policy and the attendees mostly cited a general existential threat to democracy as their main motivation for turning out. Excuse me, guys. I'm a journalist from Australia, and I'm yeah, covering sir, the election too. I'll walk and me. talk with you. Um, yes. well, uh, my name's Jack. Hi, I'm Cornelius. Nice to meet you, Cornelius. And what are the most important issues to you as a voter uh, in the midterms and also in the 2024 Our democracy. What do we have if we don't have this? If we don't have freedom, if we don't have our innovation, if we don't have what our democracy has brought through the struggle of people to end slavery, all of that, what do we have? 
Does anybody want to live in Russia? Exactly. Or in China? No. Well, no. So we have nothing without that. Yep. And what, what, so what do you think is most important to securing that? I think defeating all of these. I mean, unfortunately, I lived most of my life as a Republican. I worked for George H.W. Bush. Oh, wow. It causes me no joy mm -hmm. to see what they've become. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Well, Cornelius, thank you so much for taking sure. the time. Sure. Uh, all the best and good luck. Yeah. My name's Jack. I'm um, Ken. Lovely to meet you. And uh, is this your daughter here? Yes. Yeah, cool. uh, is... What did you think of the event just now? Uh, really enjoyed it. I yeah. thought, um, thought the Democrats were offering, um, they put out a clear vision. Yeah. Um, and uh, trying to convey that they stand for something. Yeah. So I thought it, what I liked was it was, it was very positive toward what they've done and what they want to do, yep. and um, less about, um, you know, bashing the other side. Yeah. And last question, uh, what are the most important issues to you as a voter um, in tomorrow's election in 2024? Uh, for me, I, I think democracy is on the line, so yeah. I think that's the, the, the paramount importance. I think um, women's rights. Yep. Uh, I've got a young daughter, and yep. um, I want her to grow up and, and be able to make, make choices for herself. So those are the two most important yeah. for me. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. I hope you have a wonderful night. And what, what are the most important issues to you um, when you think about the Democrats versus the Republicans? What's the most important issue, I think? Yeah. Oh, I just think the Republicans are just an issue. I the, just think the, the party themselves are the yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah no, it's that's a great, a, it's, it's a great answer, right? And the main policy issue cited at the Biden gig was one I heard a lot about at Trump's rally, abortion. But among younger Democrats, the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is a motivating factor in precisely the opposite direction. I'm a journalist from Australia, yes. and I'm uh, covering the, the campaigns. <laughs> yes, yeah. I just want to get, like one minute interview and hear what you guys thought or what's important to you. Okay. Cool. My name's Jack. What's your name? Um, I'm Kayla. Nice to meet you, Kayla. Nice to meet you. Are well. you a student at the university? Yes, yes, I am. Great. And what and what brought you here today? Oh, sorry, they're distracted. <laughs> um, so I wanted to see like them in person to see what they really um felt like because all of the everything I got from them was always on um like the news or like yeah. other sources. So seeing them in person as a primary source was important to me. Yeah. And what did you think? Um, I was impressed. Yeah. It gave me another point of view. I'm definitely going to vote. Yeah. So. Great. And what are the, the issues that are most important to you as, a, as an American? Well, of course, the female um, reproductive rights mm -hmm. and climate change, of course, because yeah. it's not normal for it to be 80 degrees in November. Yes. And I don't think I shouldn't be standing here in a polo shirt. Exactly. Year, right? Yeah. <laughs> you should be bundled up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's November. So cool. th those are my two top um, concerns. Well, thanks so much for participating. So I think that all this is quite a big deal. Firstly, it upends the pre-midterm logic on the upcoming Republican primaries. With such a dramatic failure to capitalise on such an advantageous runway into the polls, previous expectations for a two-horse race between Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have to be recalibrated. And Biden has to make up his mind. While the results themselves are clearly very favourable to the Democrats in the immediate term, I think that when it comes to 2024, the main effect they have is to blow the race wide open. And that could be a very good thing for America. I'm Jack Wright, an Australian journalist based in New York City. 
I'm a contributor to the Washington Post and the Australian Financial Review and a former executive director at JP Morgan Chase. Tune in next week for a follow-up episode on the midterms where I'm going to sit down with some key figures on both sides of the house for in-depth conversations on where both parties are as the dust from the midterms settles. And we'll talk a lot about what might be in store in the lead-up to the presidential elections in 2024. Until then, thank you very much for listening.